Hello, everyone. Thanks for giving us your time today. This is VR Download, and I'm Ian Hamilton in New York, broadcasting today with David Heaney in London. Some quick notes for new viewers. David and I meet here each week in a studio he built to discuss the next steps of personal computing. I'm using a Quest Pro right now with face and eye tracking, and that brings over some of my expressions to the viewer. We've got a global audience, and as always, please let us know where you're watching us from. I see people out there in snowy Sweden watching us this week. We love to see the global audience we have, and we've got a lot to discuss this week. David, what are we getting into? Yeah, we really do have a lot to discuss this week. There are a lot of topics. We'll talk about Apple listing 3D movies on its Apple TV store in preparation for Vision Pro. We'll talk about the fact that the iPhone 15 Pro's latest iOS beta update lets it record 3D video to watch in Vision Pro. Immersed announcing that its visor will have a standalone mode as they raise the pre-order price to $950. We'll talk about HTC sending a Vifocus 3 to the International Space Station to be used by astronauts. Banter, a app that is trying to take on VR chat with a standalone first approach. We'll talk about Pico cancelling its Beat Saber competitor and laying off all the developers. We'll talk about Valve's hints at its next plans for VR that it gave during an interview about Steam Deck OLED, which it launched, which it is launching this month. We'll talk about Casting 2.0 for Quest that can finally capture an uncropped widescreen view, which is going to be a game changer for content creators. We'll talk about Meta shooting down the prospect of a Quest 3 eye tracking add-on. We'll talk about Quest 2's price being cut to $250 for the rest of the year, the lowest price we've ever seen on a non-refurbished standalone headset with track controllers. We'll talk about that report from the Wall Street Journal that Meta is going to bring Quest 3 Lite, the headset that we've talked about on this show before, to China through a deal with Tencent. And finally, we will talk about Samsung's Google-powered headset being set to launch late next year. So another contender or a team of contenders entering the ring. Yeah, we're going to have to power through this. This ended up being, what, 12 things on my list of stuff to get through. We will get through them as quickly as we can. Let us know if you have any questions. If we don't get to them when we see them, we'll try to address them later in some way, shape, or form. We love your comments. want to remind everyone to tune in for our showcase in early December. I'm pretty proud of our work over the last couple of weeks. The problems with buying a Quest 2 right now, even though it's seeing some of the best deals. And we need people to discuss that. And it's just really important that we help those people who are new to VR get the right answers. So I just wanted to put that out there before we got into this first topic. David, why don't you break this down? Because I tried to find this on my Apple TV and I couldn't. And it's a pretty big deal to have this on Apple's platform. Yeah, this was spotted by Flat Panels HD, which is a website that does reviews of TVs. They've been around for years. They're fairly uh, reputable. They're trusted by TV manufacturers to review units, and they do these detailed technical analysis. So they they noticed that for a short time, the Apple TV app was showing a new 3D icon that had the shape of Vision Pro on some movies. And so Apple had confirmed at WWC when it announced Vision Pro that Vision Pro will be able to play 3D movies. And some of these movies that are, were included in the list are, are Shrek and Kung Fu Panda 3. The movie that Apple showed off at WWDC was Avatar The Way of Water. But interestingly, that wasn't spotted. So it seems like this was just a test. But what's interesting about this is that 
Meta actually used to offer a 3D movie rental service on Quest, well, on, on Rift and Go, and then it deprecated that, and Quest didn't have one for a few months, and then they partnered with Fandango to launch one on Quest, and then earlier this year, they closed down that partnership. So this is another classic tale of a, a software feature that Apple is going to deliver as a, a first-party experience out of the box that Meta used to have, and then you know, deprecated and then built a new one and then deprecated and then its current software doesn't support. So obviously the big issue with the this is headset comfort. We are still not at the place where most headsets are comfortable enough to watch a two-hour movie, you know, stationary and, and have that be a really pleasant experience. That's something we've heard from uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that some early testers of Vision Pro are, are finding it too heavy. It's also what Apple is reportedly focused on is their primary focus for Vision Pro 2 is to make it lighter and more comfortable. But still, watching a 3D movie in a headset like this, a VR headset, is a much better experience than watching it using standard 3D glasses on a, in a movie theater. You know, So if you, if you tried that and you didn't like it, I recommend trying it on a VR headset. You can do it through big screen today. Big screen offers not the headset, the actual app offers uh 3d movie rental of uh and you can try it in the headset and yes it is a much more compelling experience for a whole host of technical reasons than watching it with 3d glasses this does seem like it was a test so i imagine there'll be a lot more but obviously 3d tvs kind of died out in 2016 and 27 2017 because the experience just wasn't that good uh the content was difficult to get there wasn't really um a compelling reason to use it there was Again, if you had a 3D TV, some people loved it, but the experience of, of doing it through these polarized glasses is just not the same as, as a VR headset where you're getting a, a a true stereoscopic experience. We'll start talking about the new update to iOS that lets iPhone 15 Pro record spatial video. So this update is now available for anyone on the beta channel of iOS. Uh, you can use your iPhone 15 Pro, not the base model, only the Pro model, to record this spatial video. And Apple didn't actually say until now, until the last week, what spatial video really was. And their marketing clips seemed to suggest that spatial video were some kind of volumetric video because they showed the the head turning and parallax that would be impossible from just normal 3D video. The problem is, they have now confirmed to CNET and to TechRadar that this is essentially just normal 3D video. Vision Pro does seem to have a very sort of um, clever way to present it, putting it in a rectangular binding box um, and having the, the edges kind of blurred and extended based on the content within that box to, to add a wee bit more of a depth effect. But essentially, this is still just 3D stereoscopic video. It's recorded at 1080p and 30fps. But this is, you know, everyone who has an iPhone 15 Pro that gets a, a Vision Pro can just record that video and play it back in the headset with a completely, you know, streamlined experience using AirDrop and I assume iCloud file sync. So it's not going to be, it's going to be probably the most streamlined uh, capture device to headset experience for 3D video we've seen yet. Yeah, and it was fascinating. I went and just found my article from 2011 where I tried out the Evo 3D, and this was a phone of ahead of its time, is what I called it. 
And it had 3D capture, very similar to this, so many years ago now. Even when you think about the history of this file format of of side-by-side video uh, for 3D effect, it's, it is going back into the 1800s. This is continuing the same fundamental idea, just what streamlined directly on top of your existing capture pipeline in a way that that phone from so many years ago could not do. Uh, it was very, very cool at the time, but just couldn't, you know, it wasn't going to change anything. And um, now it's it's so wild to go full circle with this. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing VR Gamer do saying they were rocking the uh, Evo 3D back in the day. And I saw the, the screenshot over on uh, Twitter uh, showing that. And it's it was cool to experience that I've got a couple captures somewhere in my file storage somewhere that I could put in a headset. But like, unless it's really, really good quality, it's not uh, fantastic. You don't want to come back to it. And the first reviewers, the first people who have actually seen this in a headset are saying that that capture kind of crosses that barrier is the, the way I'm I'm understanding it, right? Yeah, just to confirm with a lot of our commenters here that, that are asking, uh, yes, it is just side-by-side 3D. This isn't some revolutionary technology. That's what was confirmed. So uh, CNET and TechRadar got to try this, and CNET said that it was undeniably vivid and the 3D was compellingly realistic. And to be clear, when I say try this, they were at a private Apple event. They were able to use the iPhone 15 Pro to capture videos and then watch those videos that they'd taken on the Vision Pro. And uh, TechRadar said that the depth is interesting and not overbearing or jarring. Instead, the scene looks exactly as I remember it, complete with that lifelike depth. So again, it's nothing revolutionary, but it's just a lot of what Apple does a lot of the time, taking an existing technology and polishing it and refining it and making it very consumer friendly. And obviously you're, you're viewing this on a headset with near 4K OLED micro displays. So you're not display or uh, lens limited because these are, these are sharp pancake lenses in Vision Pro. And this is something where rather than juggling through separate apps and using, you know, plugging in your 3D camera to USB and transferring it over to your headset, this is just, you open it up and it's there if you're using, you know, that iCloud photo sync system that all Apple products support. Yeah, so I'm seeing in our comments, uh, James was asking whether I saw this. No, I did not. I reached out to Apple upon seeing that they had done this demo for, I think it was TechRadar and CNET, two very mainstream um, sort of tech publications with very wide audiences interested in, in their their views. Uh, I, I put in our formal request for a review unit, should it come. And I'm just going to put it out there with our viewers that we don't know at this point which way that's going to go, whether we're going to go under embargo and have a review unit from Apple or whether we're going to have to go through the purchase process just like everyone else and get one for ourselves and actually go through the demo process in stores when that happens. Because that ultimately may be the way a lot of people experience this for the first time. And one of the questions here was from Chris saying, how will 3D capture work on iPhone with the camera so close? A fantastic question, an excellent question. And that is what we are hoping to see when we do these demos ourselves. What is that limitation and what might change if you separate the distance between the lenses with the headset-based capture? Yeah, you're not going to get the the same depth that you get with a 
a 3D camera that has a, a larger stereo separation. But again, it's this is why Apple is very kind of cleverly presenting it within this rectangular bound. This isn't like a 180 degree camera that surrounds you so that, you know, if the sense of scale is off, it's going to look wrong. This is something that's being presented as like a window into a memory that doesn't have to have the true scale, but does have a, a strong sense of depth. Uh, another commenter asked, uh, you know, how does it work given that these are very different cameras? You know, they're different. Uh, one is a very wide angle. That's the, the software magic here where Apple is doing some kind of uh, distortion correction on the wider camera to pan it in. You cannot zoom in or out when you're capturing spatial video on iPhone 15 Pro. You're kind of locked to this one zoom level that is optimized for this correction algorithm. And just to confirm again, uh, for some of the comments, you know, we're not, we're not speculating on what this format is. Apple confirmed to TechRadar and CNET, this is side by side video, 1080p, 30fps, and Apple actually published the specifications for this format. It's an extension of HEVC, the, that video, uh, compression format called MV-HEVC, multi-view HEVC. So this is no longer in the realm of speculation, it's confirmed what this is. It's side-by-side -side 1080p 30fps video. I think we can talk about Visor, not the immersed news that's just come in today. Yeah, I don't know if we've got Renji Bajoy, the founder of Visor of Immersed, out there in our comments. I was talking to them a little while ago to try to get a little bit additional context for the story we just published. But why don't you just run us through what we just published, and I'll give that context after you get into that. Yeah, so if you're not familiar, the, the idea behind Visor is that it's a single-purpose headset, not designed to be a general-purpose standalone headset that is like for gaming and social and everything. It's designed to show your laptop's monitor expanded into a massive floating screen in front of you and let you spawn extra free monitors. It basically turns your laptop into a multi-monitor setup of whatever size you want. That's the pitch. Uh, the, the news here today is that they are going to also have a standalone mode. So instead of having it to be powered by your laptop, it will also be able to have its own just web browsers that are floating in front of you. Uh, that's still not the primary use case. The primary use case for this is still to use it with your laptop as a virtual multi-monitor setup, but they will also have this standalone mode. They also say it's gonna have a, a theater experience now, so it's not just productivity. The standalone mode will include the ability to to stream movies, and they even said in the press release with friends, whatever that means. I assume that suggests it's going to be some sort of multiplayer with avatar system. We haven't seen any details of that. There's also some minor hardware changes they've announced. They're adding more tracking cameras, so there's six total now, and they're adding a touchpad to the side that can summon an AI assistant. So. It's difficult to know what to think on this one. This is not something we have tried yet. We would love to try it. Uh, Ian will talk a bit more about that in a second. It, it's certainly an ambitious product. It's probably one of the most ambitious headsets we've ever seen presented. Uh, the legitimacy of this for me comes down to the fact that this is in partnership with Qualcomm and Intel. And Qualcomm seems to be doing a lot of the work here. I can't speculate beyond that, but I think Qualcomm is doing a lot more than the fact that this is branded immersed visor may suggest is all I would say here. So that's what seems to give it legitimacy. But for this thing to ship with all of these specs and all of these features and nice standalone as well with 4K OLED micro displays, this is, it stretches credibility is what I would say. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we've got a lot of people in our comments responding to that, our presentation of this. And I want to make sure we're fair and really present the whole picture here. I'm seeing Guy Godin saying how many of those things are wishlist items and how many are implemented and working today. That's the real question. We do not have our eyes into this headset. And that makes us draw comparisons to big screen beyond. It makes us point out that we have put big screen on our heads for extended periods of time and reviewed it. It's on our site. And in addition to that, we also tried the beyond very early. We met with uh, the CEO there, the founder, and tried a very early kit of, of the demo, wrote about that as well. We haven't done the same for here. So there's a lot of concern out there in our audience as they are taking these refundable pre-orders. We reached out to Renji and asked about this specifically, about us comparing this to Big Screen Beyond and understanding what the difference is here. And the way Renji presents it is there's two different paths to market here. And Renji is saying that they basically need permission from some of the partners before Upload VR and others can see this. So these companies are at different stages of their journey in hardware. And Renji is saying that because Big Screen is solo, quote, they don't need permission from anyone. So that's him explaining why we're not able to, to have that assessment for you yet. Renji adding, but the trade-off is them not having experience bringing hardware to market, whereas these partners have built high-quality products at scale. I, whether fortunate or unfortunately, decided to go the partner route to ensure a great end product hopefully can have you all come in the next few months here. So that's the promise right now of, of a timeline of some sorts to actually go and see this. But that's where we are today. And that's the, the full picture I wanted to get across to people. I haven't seen what the uh, comments are doing. Anything interesting there? Yeah, we do have Ranji in the comments saying that people can wait. Uh, you know, they don't have to believe quite now. I've seen some people accuse this of being a scam or something like that. And, you know, to be clear, Immersed is saying that this is a fully refundable deposit, i.e. you are fully refunded if you want to cancel before your headset is shipped. Now, that's obviously a claim they're making. I'm pretty sure they would get into legal trouble if that was false. So I don't see how it could be a scam in that sense because they're not. it's not one of those things where, you know, it's not like Kickstarter where you're putting in your money and you might lose it. According to Immersed, and these are fully refundable pre-orders. And immersed is a real product. Like that's for for people that are like fly by flying by this, not realizing that there's something behind this. Immersed is a product that is in use today by people in our audience, I'm sure, um, that let them access their PCs and multiple monitors. So like this is a thing in market, and in the same way, big screen is in market in its own social platform. Going into hardware, that's that's why it invites these comparisons to big screens. They are parallel, similar companies trying to enhance their core experience through hardware. And yeah, Intel and Qualcomm are major partners, and Qualcomm in particular puts out reference designs all the time. We're going to move into the back end of the show here. We're going to start talking about 2024 overall. Like, there's a lot of things happening in 2024, and this is just one possible route. But Qualcomm, we have to come back to Qualcomm as the engine of so many uh, things happening in the XR space. And their partners, like, it's it's really up to Qualcomm in some instances whether to say something. 
And in other instances, it's the partner. It's, it's literally a contractual obligation amongst mega corporations saying this, you know, who gets to say when this thing gets announced. And that's what I would expect here. But like, that doesn't, that, that's, that, that gives strength to why we haven't seen this yet. But at the same time, Qualcomm has a lot of other partners to think about too. So if you're getting ready to spend your money, we're going to talk about other news here today of why you kind of should be waiting right now if you're in anything else other than the market for a Quest 3, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we should point out that Qualcomm has not only made just reference designs. We have seen in the past Qualcomm reference designs that look strangely like this. And Qualcomm is not just wanting to be the chip provider these days. They are providing, you know, designs, uh, electrical engineering support, even software. You know, we've seen some headsets that are shipping with Qualcomm tracking. And I think that with this, Qualcomm is is heavily involved in in some of that core tech, like the tracking. Qualcomm is trying to spur a market where they want to help hardware companies be able to ship headsets and start a competitive market here. And, you know, it looks like Immerse is one of the companies that's starting to build on this. I think even like HTC's first standalone headset, the the, the tracking, uh, the Focus One, the tracking was literally just Qualcomm's out-of-the-box tracking. Uh, a lot of that core tech, we've even seen, you know, Qualcomm has a developer SDK, that their Snapdragon Spaces that they are bringing on the content level. This is not like most of the smartphone market where Qualcomm is only on the very low chip level. In XR, Qualcomm wants to be providing a huge range of these tool sets to allow companies that are even like a software startup to jump into the arena. So Renji in our comments here saying the difference between Immerse partnerships with Qualcomm versus others who use the chip is that Immerse actually co-develops with Qualcomm. We don't just consume the chip. And then Guy Godin earlier in our comments was saying big screen shipped a headset that they built and engineered themselves. Guy Godin, of course, the creator of virtual desktop. And Guy adding, I wouldn't compare the two until a working unit ships to consumers. And we are not. We are, you know, I, I'm, I didn't ask David Heaney before this moment what his thoughts on this are. So we're going to hear from him fresh. But I would not personally put my money into a pre-order advisor right now. That's, that would be, you know, and I think Renji, you know, like anyone in our comments, that's your own call to make. And I imagine Renji would support people who aren't ready to do that right now. There's going to be early adopters who are ready to take that early support risk. But that would be my personal take on this. David Heaney, how do you feel? Yeah, I I think I need to see someone outside of the company trying and reviewing and giving impressions, someone that I trust, ideally us, but, you know, even just someone I trust. But again... (laughs) Deal your own eyeballs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but... I, again, I still do think, as, assuming that the fully refundable thing is true, which, as I said earlier, I assume they would get into deep legal trouble if it wasn't true. This isn't like a quick starter. I just want to keep repeating that. This is not a gamble. This is they are saying that it's fully refundable. So I maybe I'm maybe I'm too trustworthy on that, yeah. but I, I do trust them on that. So there's Renji uh, going off my comments there, and that's you know this is the same confidence that we heard from Big Screen prior to them shipping Big Screen. So there's there is similarity there, but remember what he said there that they need we need to go eyes in. Renji's telling us it's a couple months away, and Renji in our comments is basically supporting that. If you don't have confidence in it, just wait. Um, and that's that's our that's where we are on it right now, and I think it's ready to move on. Um, that's you know like. If you don't think that was balanced, uh, uh, I don't know. You know, like that's us being as balanced as we possibly can, and I, I hope you appreciate it in our audience. We're trying our best here. 
I think the last thing I would say about this is that if you know if it does ship as as described, this is a, a fascinating product, and I, I want to see more headsets that are designed around specific use cases because the problem with the general headsets, be it Quest Three, be it even Vision Pro at its thirty five hundred dollars, is when you try to do everything, you're going to have to add a lot of bulk and weight to do everything. And what you're just if you want this use case of just being able to be a kind of digital nomad or someone that's just constantly traveling for work and have a massive multi-monitor setup anywhere you go. If this is as described, this is going to be what you want. You're not going to want to put a brick on your face when you can put a visor. So, you know, if this does ship as described, this should be very interesting for people who want that use case. Yeah, very, very interesting work that we are desperate to see more of. I think that's the way we'll leave off that subject. Um and yeah, I'm seeing James saying I pre-order all hardware from everyone in the XR space. Yeah, that's I I'm sorry for you, James. Uh, let's move on to HTC sending a five focus three to the International Space Station. Do you think it it gets more use up there than most fight five focus threes do down on Earth? <laughs> well, Vi Focus 3 is HTC's business-focused headset, so they're using, you know, it's not a matter of whether they want to. This is a headset that people are using in uh, business and enterprise contexts. The the kind of, not gimmick, but the unique feature of Focus 3 is that the battery in the rear can be swapped out. Not hot-swapped, but just swapped out, so you don't have to charge the headset between uses. You can just kind of uh, swap that battery out, and they, they sell like a charging cradle, so you can have multiple batteries ready to go it's also the highest resolution one of the highest resolution headsets there is it's it's higher resolution than quest 3 or pico 4 it has 2.5k per eye lcds and it launched in 2021 so you know the focus 3 does have its own uh use case and niche i think the interesting thing about what they're doing here is that they're sending it to the the iss to help with astronaut mental health the idea is that you know, up there, you're in a very cramped and unnatural environment. You don't see the normal sights of Earth. You don't see a natural daylight sky. And the, the pitch HCC and their partners that are working on this are making, I think it's XR Health and Nordstrom, is that it will help astronauts have a little bit of escapism sometimes. The problem is that these are the way they're doing this is through 360 degree videos. I think they really could have, you know, I think, I guess if you're trying to represent Earth, on a headset that only has the original XR2. That's one of the ways to go. But it would be great to see in the future this be tried with a, a Vision Pro or uh, maybe a, a Quest 3 with very, very well-optimized uh, software that maybe uses like photogrammetry or other uh, Nerf capture tools to, to, to deliver something that's sixed off. But you know, to, to talk more generally about this, in the long term, uh, this could be a crucial part of how astronauts travel into deep space. You know, NASA is now in the middle of spooling up its Artemis program to send humans to the moon. And its, it's stated goal is to establish a base on the moon. Uh, it's stated, you know, long-term goal and in, in going into the next program is to send humans to Mars, which is going to be a multi-month mission, completely isolated from all of humanity. So, you know, if astronauts could take a headset on this, on these missions and have a personal theater that they can sit and watch, you know, a whole library of movies and TV shows, and they can go into this immersive virtual environment and kind of, you know, de-stress a bit and kind of escape, that could be, this could be something that's essential to all deep space missions in the late 2020s and 2030s. 
Yeah, I'm seeing people in the comments talking about how the idea that tracking systems would likely need to be modified in order to work in space. Uh, and I'm I'm seeing VR gamer dude talk about the Enterprise D having a holodeck, and that is the model I've talked about it so many times in my head of the kind of VR future I want. I like this idea of going into a room and speaking a couple sentences and then modifying and modifying it until it's this environment you want. And that sounds like amazing. It's really, really cool to think that VR could actually fulfill that need. And it's actually like, when you think about it, like what's, what's the format of messages that the, like, how do you send messages to someone in a VR headset in space who's living back on planet Earth? It, acts, it, it's, it goes to what we were discussing earlier with the Vision Pro's 3D format. And, uh, gosh, I, I'm going to go full circle back to my 2012-2013 article with a guy at NASA who went and eventually worked for Apple telling me that the TV was the right format for the moon landing, moon landing, and it's not the right format now. And I, I love this idea that we could go full circle one day and eventually use VR headsets to see what people out there are doing in space. Yeah, seeing a lot of comparisons here to the holodeck, it does seem like, you know, the obvious, you know, in science fiction in many ways describes the future of technology. And, you know, they had that understanding in Star Trek that there would be this need for escapism on deep space missions. I'm seeing a lot of people ask how the tracking works. Uh, and, the, and the answer is it didn't without modification. So HTC actually had to re redesign uh, the tracking system to use a controller. This is a this is a test on a parabolic aircraft. You know what, what do they call them? The vomit comet, where you kind of go up and and sink down to, to experience microgravity for a short amount of time to test this. How it works is that one of the controllers is placed down in a fixed position as an anchor, and the headset uses that as a reference point because it it no longer does have a, a up down vector from from gravity that's reliable in microgravity. So that is how they solve this. Uh, the same thing had to, had to be done when an Oculus Rift was sent to the ISS in 2017. Uh, Microsoft also sent a original HoloLens to the ISS in 2015. And again, they had to modify the tracking system. So the answer to how does tracking work in space is it doesn't without heavy modification, but any company that sends a headset up to space does that modification because it has to be done. It's really interesting to think about. Uh, I'm starting my mind's exploding with ideas now, but like it's it's wild to think that like hypothetically you could full body track the astronauts and use a model of the ISS and then basically let you go inside the ISS and see the astronauts doing all of their actual movements around you in 3D space. Um, kind of cool to think that we could be there in just a few years. Yeah, there could be an extension to that app on Quest. I think it's called Mission ISS, which lets you, you know, it's a fully volumetric 3D app that you can explore the ISS. It's really fascinating. If anyone hasn't heard of it and that's something you're interested in, look it up, Mission ISS. One thing I will mention, I'm seeing someone in the comments here, a little scampy. Anyone know if Apple's ever sent something to the ISS? It's a really interesting question. I would assume wearables uh, like are a category that you would be allowed. I don't. I don't know how that would work. So that's a fascinating question. But I will say towards questions earlier, it takes years to go through the certification process of getting something to go up there. That's why you would see something like a Vive Focus 3 rather than their newer headset like an XR Elite. 
it takes a very long time to actually do that process. And it's true of some of the capture technology they've sent up there. So if you think about Apple announcing Vision Pro now, getting its spatial video up and running on the iPhone, they're in a place where they actually might be interested in talking to companies that are sending stuff up in more robust ways. Uh, there's already great uh, like screensavers and things like that that Apple has on its platform where there's obvious room for expansion. I think we're ready to move on. Yeah, let's talk about banter. So I'll let you take this topic as you were in there checking it out. Yeah, so banter is from SideQuest. It's their social VR networking service. And I don't know if we've got Shane Harris from SideQuest in our comments uh, or not, but I've been chatting with him a little bit. I met him at um, MetaConnect, uh, talked to him briefly right before I had a meeting scheduled with the walkout mini golf folks and had to had to say goodbye. And then he reaches out to me and says, uh, can you go check out banter? Okay, I'm going to put something on your calendar uh, for tomorrow morning at 830. And <laughs> I uh, go to work or I, I walk my kid to school, walk back to work here at home and put on the VR headset. And the first thing I do is I try to install SideQuest, um, which was an idiotic thing to do. I wasted a good 10 minutes there because banter doesn't require SideQuest. It's an App Lab app. So I searched and got the App Lab link for this, installed it. And was up met him in maybe five minutes from install. It was it was very very quick. So this is the actual timeline of what happened that day. I had a meeting at eight thirty, scheduled by Shane Harris in this gorilla style, just put onto my calendar. Please don't do that. I know Shane Harris, so he was it was acceptable for him to do that on my calendar. Uh, I don't like that from random PR folks. Um, but he does that. I meet him. A few minutes pass, and I'm like, this is interesting. I'd like to invite David Heaney in here. So he, David over here has uh, turned in one of the stories I think we're going to talk to later. And he's like, can you, can you edit this? And I'm telling him I'm in VR right now with Shane Harris of uh, SideQuest, and he's showing me banter. Can you check this out? Because he has a version. He has me in a room that looks very similar to the room I'm in right now. There's three cameras over here, and he's showing me that you can just press one, two, three on the desktop client of Banter and switch between the two, the three camera views. Um, there's also a browser in there to throw videos, just like we have Stevie the TV. I was impressed because I have you, David Heaney, in the studio in the past appealing to this audience right here saying, if someone can build this, it actually takes a lot off of your plate and you would welcome it. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is looking good enough to have uh, David come check it out. And he replies, fine. I love it. He's just fine. I'll check it out. Right. At like eight 54 in the morning at nine o'clock, he says he's installed it and he's in. And within a one minute later, we were in the room together with Shane Harris and he's looking at a studio. It's just like this. Um, I had to tell David that I would only take 10 minutes of his time. So he says he's in at, ten, at nine o'clock and I am editing that story. We're going to talk. Done our, I've done my job. He's asked banter 
Uh, he's asked Shane Harris the question I expected him to ask, and that was, are you trying to build VR chat? And the answer that I've just reported is a resounding yes. They're trying to do a VR chat on Quest that runs performant, which is one of the key problems with VR chat because it's extended across both the PC and Quest ecosystems. Now, it could also become a problem with banter over time. There's no, there's no proof that they're actually going to succeed at this, but there's actually quite a bit in this platform that looked really interesting just from the offset. And this 10-minute thing of just getting David interested, getting him installed, it was a 150 megabyte download. So the, he went and installed it, and he had it really fast. And that's critical in, in VR. Now, um, we can debate. I'm sure it's in our comments. Uh, David, I'm curious what your thoughts on it were and, and what, I'm, what, I ha what context I haven't brought here. But like, uh, how excited should our audience be that there is a competitor for VRChat, a new one? So I think if you're someone who doesn't use PC VR, you don't own a gaming PC, this should be interesting to you because VRChat is a PC-first platform that happens to support mobile. You know, if you're if you're a VRChat user, you'll know that you have this content that's on PC only. So there are worlds that you cannot access. And as I always point, as I commonly point out in this show, a lot of the best stuff you see in VRChat marketed on Twitter and uh, YouTube and other social media platforms is all captured on PC. And a lot of those are the PC worlds. And then you join your quest and it doesn't look anything like that. And you can't access those worlds. And if there are versions, you know, they're 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 dumbed down. Banter is standalone first there is no distinction between pc worlds and quest worlds and when, when i tried it the the performance was excellent one of the things i was really surprised by was given the complexity of the worlds that were there given the graphics given that they have full physics full physics in the same sense as bone works which i think correct me if i'm wrong audience but is the first time this has been done in a networked environment uh you know that's something we've been talking about for a long time on the show when will someone deliver bone works like physics in a networked environment uh, th this is going to have a very interesting effect on uh, the social VR market once they graduate from App, La App Lab to the main store. So, yeah, again, it's it really does depend on whether you're if you're a PC gamer and you use VR chat on PC. This isn't going to really be the biggest appeal to you. But if you're someone who who's on standalone. You hate that every time you go into VR chat, the it's forty frames per second, and you can't see half the avatars, and you can't access some of the best worlds. This is going to be potentially a social VR game changer for you. Yeah, very interesting. And we are I basically left it this way with with Shane that we're moving towards the end of the year here, so we've got a lot of things on our plate to take care of. We've got uh, big reviews and our end of the year sort of wrap ups. As we look towards next year. And uh, so I don't know when we're going to get into that studio and run a test, but I would like to very, very soon. I've got ideas, but uh, it's, it was pretty impressive that they had this, this up and running, at least to the scale we were looking at it. And I'm curious if anyone in our comments goes and downloads banter, gives it a run, let us know what your experience was next week on the show. Um, we'd love to hear uh, how it worked out for you. Those first impressions matter. I saw someone here saying they tried VR chat on Quest One, and that sounds like a bad time. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to talk about on this subject. Yeah, I don't think so. Only just ET two K nine now asks Bone Lab doesn't have Boneworks physics. Uh, 
I don't think but Bone Lab is multiplayer unless I'm completely no my brain no, is no. I don't think no. it, it uh, I don't think they, they I think they talked about that right I think that's yeah, one I, of the things on their on their list um but like uh interesting question from James asking about normal VR that's a really interesting question for SideQuest I should ask them um as I recall SideQuest had some projects before SideQuest that they might have brought forward and evolved into this but that's something we're gonna have to get into we're, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on this and yeah like we said we're curious what our audience thinks if they as they get into it yeah i think i remember that before SideQuest, their first project was a kind of metaverse style app so this may be just a return to what their original vision was rather than uh, some completely separate new idea yeah, yeah let's and talk people about are adding that mods are adding those sorts of things on uh phoneworks um, yeah, I think you ready to on, talk about Pico. I think on, on PC, yes. But to be clear, we're talking about um, uh, we're, we're talking about Banter being the first one that's on standalone, standalone multiplayer and full physics in all all three in one package. As, as far as I'm aware, it is the first to have done that. But yes, let's talk about Pico. Yeah. So um, yeah, Pico. Yeah, you want to just has, go into it. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say Pico has reportedly or sorry not reportedly we've confirmed that they have cancelled their in development Beat Saber competitor and laid off all the staff and that game was called Blitz Rhythm and I've you know heard from a few people that were uh, that spoke to a beta tester that said that you know they really they thought it was a great game they really enjoyed beta testing it they thought it was great they really thought this was going to be a reason that people would no longer say, oh, I don't want a Pico 4 because I can't play Beat Saber. But Pico has cancelled it. So, Yeah, as as what I've understood is that it was understood internally at Pico to be as the Beat Saber killer, that that's, that's what they thought of it as, which is a hard label for anyone external to Pico to throw at the thing because Pico is so, or, uh, because Beat Saber is such a, a monstrously large uh, place in the in the rhythm game market now. Anything dethroning it is is a hard ask. One of the things that we understand about this thing this this product was going to be attached to a motion tracker that Pico was planning, and then you would get full body tracking and be able to have a real dance game um, out of this experience alongside their other exclusive content like Just Dance. Now, Just Dance, we've reached out to. Uh, the developer there, Ubisoft, uh, to see if we could find out whether that game is ever going to see the light of day on Pico or another platform. But I, I think the idea that that VR platforms want to unlock full body tracking for dance games so that players don't need to learn how to saber well um, or, or punch in rhythm, like. There's plenty of existing dance games that could get so much better with really great foot tracking and leg tracking. And uh, it's, it's this category of content that is, it's just embarrassing how small it is ultimately. Like, like as everyone that thinks that Beat Saber, it's silly that Beat Saber has been at the top of the market for all these years. I think it's silly that there aren't more games at the top of the market because of just how critical dancing is to, to people. Uh, it's such a big category, and Pico had a real opportunity to stand out here, and that is uh, a missed, a massively missed opportunity, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I think we may probably see more of those kind of games as the inside out upper body tracking comes to Quest 3 and some of those generative AI legs. But, you know, let's relate this to the, the Pico news we talked about last week. And, you know, Jay Ritchie is asking if this was because of trouble with music licenses. I mean, no, it's clear that w- from what happened last week, and now with this, it's even more clear to me that Pico is pulling out of the Quest-like VR gaming market. That is no longer their focus. It looks like if you relate this to the news we talked about last week, that Pico is keeping its hardware and hardware R&D department, but essentially all of their content people are, are either laid off or folded back into ByteDance. It's clear that that's what's going to happen here, that Pico has been told to to build the kind of headsets that people will want in the later half of the decade, you know, start to build Vision Pro competitors and, and the, you know, headsets that are much more advanced than today, but that their short-term aspirations of, of competing heavily and investing heavily to try and win the current market, they just don't see it as big enough for them and they don't see it as viable enough anywhere near. That's, this is, to me, I was very confused about what was going on at Pico until this news. And hearing this news, it's crystal clear now, you know, that you don't cancel this. You don't cancel this and lay off all the staff if you're still intending to compete in the short-term VR gaming market. Yeah, the short-term VR gaming market. Um, I, I, there is a piece of hand tracking that we have to, we have to get into in a couple episodes. We'll get it. We've gone into it a little bit in the past, but, um, platforms like Meta did a lot of funding experimentation and mixed reality. But when I talk to developers like the developers at Alchemy, Andrew over there, the head of Alchemy at Google right now, and I think about the forward-facing platform, forward, uh, platform features on Quest Pro, which is a dual-mode uh, way of having both hand tracking and controller tracking at the same time. Um, when you say Pico is pulling the rug out of gaming, I still think they can, if they wanted to, throw money back into VR gaming, but at hand-tracked VR games. Now, I, I've, I listened back on our previous show, and I checked myself, I fact-checked myself, on whether there's, I can count on my hands the number of developers who can make great hand-tracking games. And it, it still is, I think I, it stands up. There aren't a ton of developers who can put great hand tracking games together. And we know Meta is ready to pay for those games on its platform. We know Google has that expertise in-house at Alchemy and could stand up a platform hypothetically with hand tracking. But this, I can't imagine how Pico goes and matches efforts of that scale. How do they, how do they get devs to come and build hand tracking games for Pico or TikTok VR, if that's how they come back? when this is the reality of of what happened to the previous generation of games made for the platform. I would guess they're just hoping to ride off the titles that come to other uh, platforms like Samsung's platform, like uh, Apple's headset. I guess if you look at the context that they're keeping hardware but folding away the software, you could even speculate it might be possible that Pico plans to adopt Google's platform. Uh, that's you know a big stretch, but... I just, you know, if they if they don't have the software yeah. team anymore and they don't have the content team, you can't compete in the market in, in the short term without that. You can't, you know, w- what is the solution there? There's something they either just don't care and they, their their current solution is the market now is too small. We don't care. Just build us good hardware that we can 
worry about the content in the second half of the decade, or they're going to get a partner to do that for them. Well, I think of it's fairly interesting to me the timing of VR chat coming to Pico almost parallel to all the Pico falling apart as a brand. Um, all of these layoffs and the idea that they're shifting directions in an entirely different way. Of course, VR chat supports dual mode input. They do in, they do in their experimental sort of way have hand tracking support inside the platform. And it's actually pretty cool. We've I've done reports with people who know sign language to test out the quality of hand tracking on Quest inside VR chat. And through that reporting, discover that there is a menu option inside VR chat to turn off all of the gesture recognition so that you can sign more freely without activating the the gestures to move around in VR. So there's actually, if you're going to support one game, one product on your platform with hand tracking, they do have the right one, don't they? Sure, but the the one thing is they don't support hand tracking on Pico 4. You know, Pico 4 has hand tracking, but I, I opened up VR chat on Pico 4 and the first thing it said was put on your controllers and I took off the controllers when I was in the game and nothing, you know, they, there's clearly no hand tracking there. I suspect, yeah, that it does seem like a massive missed opportunity, uh, but I suspect uh, VR chat was working on this for a long, long time and they had no idea what was going on and that Bike Dance made this decision without ever informing any of their partners. Because well, I think that would be brutal. That would be brutal if, if there if that isn't covered. Hand tracking support isn't covered in that agreement. If that wasn't part of bringing VR chat to Pico, um, then that's either a dead end. That's the hypothetically a dead end for VR chat on the Pico platform, or like, I, I mean, what else? Like, I don't know. If it could be coming in a future update, yeah, it needs to be coming, right? It's it's either contractually obligated or like they're just gonna they're gonna support the transition, I guess, over to whatever Pico does next. Um, but it's the 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 comment from James O'Laughlin, uh, where was it? A little bit higher. Devs don't invest in hand tracking because it is still a secondary input modality to controllers. That is something I've heard from some of the the most invested people in this space you simply you simply cannot as a game developer build for the second input system for a platform and hope for a great market there's a long track record of your products failing if you do that um and so until these platforms say and make this painful shift over actually we're hand tracking first then all of the stuff is is added later and it's a problem for so many devs. But it's just all of the devs right now are really, really good at making hand uh, controller tracking games. And, you know, some of them are going to work, but some of them are just not going to work. And that's going to be tough. Yeah, it just does depend on how many headsets ship without it. You know, we know Apple is not going to have controllers. Uh, it's been speculated, and we'll talk about this later, that Samsung may not have controllers. It's just that when does it get to a critical mass where developers is missing out on a significant enough chunk of the market to to not support hand tracking that they have to, or if they don't want to, that they have to kind of de-scope their game because it doesn't it can't you can't have the same budget as a title that's supporting one hundred percent of the market if you're supporting a chunk, and that's just the unfortunate reality here. But do we want to talk about uh, the Valve news? 
Yeah, why don't we run through Valve's hints at its VR plans, and then I'm going to go check on my cat and my door while you talk about that, because they are uh, not happy that I'm in VR right now. Be right back. Sure. So this was in an interview with Norm from Tested. You should go and watch the full interview. We've linked to it in our article, or you can just search for it on YouTube. And so they were asked, uh, Valve was asked by Norm, how much of the learnings from the Steam Deck project could eventually be transferred over to hardware more suitable for VR, presumably a VR headset. Valve said a lot of it. Working with an APU with miniaturization of computers, we don't have anything to announce today in terms of VR other than that we are still working on VR and we're still pushing forward on it. But just like Steam Deck is a result of learning a bunch of stuff from Steam Controller and Steam Link and VR, Future products will continue to learn from everything we've done from Steam Deck as well. That's what one of the Valve staff said. The other said, Obviously, there is a lot of overlap. Technology pieces that we can reuse. Wireless streaming, for example, is very applicable to VR. That benefited Steam Deck as well, improving the wireless streaming experience. But also just establishing relationships with part suppliers and other hardware partners. The Steam Deck team and the VR team We work together, so there's a lot of inoculation of ideas and parts and technologies. Following this, uh, Norm asked uh, about that inoculation of ideas and parts and technologies, and and Norm asked, is it fair to say that Valve is all in on OLED? Obviously, Norm here was trying to get a hint from Valve about whether its next headset would use OLED, but unfortunately, uh, the Valve employee did not take the bait and they simply said for Steam Deck for sure, yes. So we didn't get any confirmation about OLED. What we what you do see in that quote though is a clear reference to wireless streaming technology. That clearly indicates to me that whatever Valve's next headset will will do will have a strong focus on wireless streaming from your PC. And while that could take the form of virtual desktop or airlink style streaming that goes through your home network i maybe this is wishful thinking but i suspect that valve is not going to put up with that level of variability of quality with home networks i think valve and again this is speculation just based on my kind of gut maybe i think valve is going to put give us an adapter something that plugs in either to usb or even into the display port of your pc and then sends that signal wirelessly to the headset in a way where they control the hardware end to end, and it's in direct line of sight, perhaps even six gigahertz Wi-Fi six E, so that there's not interference with your existing network. And I think they're going to try to deliver a better wireless streaming experience than what we've seen yet from any of the other solutions. Geek Odin and some of our commenters sort of pushing back at that idea. Oh, the solved problem from 2017. So that's a reference to a Gabe Newell quote, where uh, in 2017, Newell said that uh, wireless VR was a solved problem and would be part of all headsets by 2018, or something along those lines. And then, of course, in 2019, Valve ships a fully tethered headset with no wireless adapter. (laughs) So that was one of uh, Gabe Newell's... And ironically, yeah. Yeah, like that, that was parallel to the idea. I remember being at conferences and, and feeling the hype. Like I, I talked to the developers of some of those wireless technologies and they, they recognized it's once you go wireless, you never want to go back. But they were building technologies that were 
doubling the cost of your your investment in various ways like it not doubling but when you add the pc it, it it's that way right you add the pc you add the extra transmitter it gets up into significantly added cost in order to go from a wired solution to a wireless uh, or go from a wireless standalone solution to a wired one or like to a wireless pc one right that's that's the one we ended up with that like one out in the market that's what uh geek odin solution in our comments is is like the winner was standalone first and then wireless pc vr streaming as an add-on solution and a lot of those wireless solutions there's some in our comments i use some of them but it's not it's it's so far from a solved problem right it's yeah we have people we have people in our comments saying you know on quest 3 this is a solved problem and you know james lachlan saying really better than virtual desktop if you have virtual desktop set up with a Wi-Fi 6E router that's in the same room as you and everything is wired to your, you know, from your PC to the router, there's probably not anything Valve can do to magically get better. The problem is that's not what most people's setup is. And we need to be honest about this. And I feel like sometimes we're the only people that are honest about this. Most people have an ISP supplied router that probably is Wi-Fi 5 and it's three rooms down the hallway with two thick walls in between and when they try to use wireless vr i'm told by people this all the time you can talk to people in vr chat and in other vr platforms that will tell you that this is their experience they try it and it's a stuttery mess because they do not have an ideal setup the the dedicated hardware means that you don't have to worry about what is someone's home networking setup you don't have to worry about are there 25 other devices running on this the cheapest possible hardware that the ISP could ship to this person. You have a dedicated link from the from the uh, transmitter to the headset in line of sight in the room. No need to support every possible Wi-Fi configuration. You bypass all of that. So that's what I think Valve could do. It's kind of what you saw with the AirBridge from Meta. The problem is, well, from D-Link. The problem is that you know it wasn't really seamless. It didn't have six gigahertz Wi-Fi six E. It was just standard five gigahertz Wi-Fi six, and uh, it's only available in the US, I believe, as well. So there, you know it was that's very different from something that's officially supported plug and play Wi-Fi six E designed for the headset by the actual company that makes the headset. And as far as I'm aware, it's also not the, the AirBridge doesn't work on Quest Pro or Quest three. Though we haven't tried that yet on Quest three. Now let me take a step back and just uh this if if, if we're going to follow your line of thinking of this add-on why can't i mod my my index with that add-on well because the you would essentially have to put a standalone computer in the index would need a battery a and a chipset that can do the decoding because the you know the reason that this can be done in standalone headsets is they have a chipset that's capable of doing video decoding in the same way that they would stream wireless video from you know, YouTube 360 or whatever. It's the same kind of, of decoding, except they're using it for the actual eye buffer frames. So by having by having a headset with this capability, it's built in. But I, I think this raises the more interesting question. Um, yeah, James O'Loughlin's pointing out there is a, a device for that coming out supposedly sometime soon, Nofio. Uh, I think it's like $300 or something like that. Don't, don't quote me. But that's the thing. You have to essentially build all of the computing hardware on there. But it raises the question, will this be Valve's main focus, streaming from a PC with Steam VR installed, running a, a you know a desktop GPU, or will this thing have some sort of standalone functionality? I think that's something that is still the biggest unanswered question about this next headset from Valve. My guess is that they will not focus on standalone gaming because that would mean having to either 
wait for a chip powerful enough to run PC VR or have this separate section of, of Steam or a separate kind of labeling system for games that have been scaled down. I don't think that's going to be their focus. I think they want to deliver high fidelity VR that's using a PC. Yeah, and the idea that I'm really excited about is the idea of bringing Steam Deck quite literally into VR. Um, and the idea that you could perhaps uh, have a next generation of the remote play functionality out of steam and you could have uh, a lot of really great experiences just by having your steam deck screen shared in vr with a friend who has come to see what game you're playing or for you to jump in and play together uh it would be a full circle pretty big win for valve if they nailed that experience out of the box with whatever platform I mean, I can imagine a lot of a lot of gamers um, turning off overnight uh, any of their interest in the meta platform. Um, if if Valve really came out and said you can play, you know, I don't know uh, what are what are some cool games that people really love um, that run well on Steam Deck? Let's say Portal Two. Uh, if you could play Portal Two's uh, cooperative mode side by side with a friend, and you're looking over. at them and you're playing on two giant screens right next to each other that'd be a fantastic amazing experience but i i have to imagine the valve must be at least thinking about it if not uh actually delivering because that would be an amazing feature for me i would go further and say that's almost certain to be a feature of their next headset if it has onboard compute yes that you would be able to stream regular games from your steam deck to be clear to the commentators here we're not talking about the steam deck powering vr the Steam Deck is not powerful enough to run the vast majority of content on Steam VR. People have tried it. There are people who have tried to use Steam Deck to power Quest via Link with, with Windows, or they've also tried to just use Steam VR. There are a lot of projects for this. It's This is a, a device with a laptop, a, a sort of mid-tier laptop level GPU. It is not powerful enough for the vast majority of PC VR. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about seeing a virtual rectangular giant cinema screen in front of you that you're playing your regular games on in uh, this headset. So it's essentially giving you a, a massive, massive screen to portably play your deck. So, you you know, maybe you, you're going on a trip or holiday, you bring your deck, you bring your headset. Instead of having to be, you know, just playing portably, you're playing the same uh, games at, at full giant monitor scale. Yeah, uh, that's what I want. And it's really interesting to think about how uh, we've watched Apple and Google sort of get the get its uh, system in order to run all of their flat screen apps in their platform. And, you know, Valve is this dark horse as it's always been, like just people not paying attention to the value of the Steam platform if they really just add a few more things on there for developers. So um, I'm excited about those ideas, and we really need to see what Valve is working on. They've been uh, in in the lab for many years and uh, cannot wait to see what's next from them. Um, you ready to talk about what's next? Yeah, I just want to pick up on a few comments there. Uh, Geldon Nietzsche is saying that they run VR off a cell phone processor on a Quest. Yeah, it's, it's, of course, it's possible. The problem is that that would mean that all of the Steam VR content would have to then 
either get an ultra-low graphics mode or an entirely separate version that's just designed for this headset. It would be essentially Valve would have to make a separate section of Steam or even a separate Steam store. It would be a nightmare. It would be a dilution from their core brand of delivering high-fidelity VR. I don't expect it to happen, but perhaps it would. And James O'Loughlin is saying, you know, so essentially Index 2 has a built-in battery and video decoding chips and wireless built for PC wireless streaming. Yeah, I would expect that. I would expect it has a full-fledged XR2, be that Gen 1 or 2, or, you know, likely 2 processor, that it can do all of this tracking on board, just like Quest does, uh, that it probably even lets you, you know, run Linux applications natively without a, a PC and, and float them in the, in midair, like browser windows and, and YouTube, just like these things we're seeing on Quest 3 and Vision Pro, but from, from SteamOS Linux rather than Android or uh, Vision OS. And then, yes, the, the core focus for gaming is using your existing powerful gaming PC. Yeah, and Free Sky saying Steam doesn't have a standalone store, though. That is absolutely correct. And we we don't expect that to be the route that they go. They need to bring all of Steam's content, uh, which includes perhaps even workshop content, over to a, a VR platform that works a little bit better than the current system. I'm seeing people going crazy with the Portal 2 VR mod. And that's, again, what I what we think about. But we don't want to confuse anything here. We want to be clear that one of the things that could be really compelling here would just be having your flat screen games in VR with other people willing, ready to watch games with you, play games with you. Um, that's We want to see that on a flat screen done in a really great way. And Meta is getting close with Xbox 3, Xbox streaming, but it's still not what Valve could bring to offer if they really get all yeah. the technologies together yeah it would be it would be much more uh, it would be a lot better than cloud streaming it would be you know on your local network without any of the kind of issues there um you know just to be clear on this that the reason that steam deck can play most games on steam is that it, it has an 800p screen it is using you know like half or less of the pixels than when you're playing on your 1080p monitor so it has you know half of the performance requirement that trick doesn't work for vr a, a, a the headset not being tethered to your PC doesn't mean that you want to see any lower resolution. You know, you can't play these same Steam VR games just at lower resolution. It would look horrible. So you can't so use the same trick that Steam Deck be able to play everything on Steam to play everything on Steam VR. But but for that same that same restriction means that you could bring that screen into VR with less uh less hardware as like a streaming solution and you've got like I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. As soon as you start feeling like your phone is really with you in VR, your Steam Deck, your Switch, your uh, even the PlayStation Portal uh, device that just launched over on uh, Sony's platform, when you have access to these devices in VR and they have an actual user interface that feels snappy to use with them, it's going to open a lot of minds, and and you're just not going to want to go without this portable screen. Uh, sitting in your place a lot of times there's so much you can do with it um, i'm ready to you know have i'm ready to be link uh from the, the latest games with the little uh, pad on my side all the time so i can use that for vr let's talk about quest casting 2.0 this one was a big one you noticed uh let's creators capture uncropped widescreen footage break this down for people why it's a big deal this is a huge deal for youtubers and other such content creators who want to capture quest uh so 
to, before this, if you are wanting to record videos of what you're seeing inside your Quest, you have to choose between the native square aspect ratio, which is shown in blue on the screen here, or you can, if you want widescreen, it works by simply cropping the view and recording from this crop. That's because the aspect ratio of each lens in a VR headset is roughly one to one. You know, the, the field of view is, is roughly the same monocularly horizontal as it is vertical. So you get, it's not a widescreen field of view. So you don't get a widescreen view. So that obviously has huge issues for content creators because you miss out on a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the time where your hands are in the bottom third of the screen. And sometimes if you're very close to enemies, this isn't a great example, but imagine you were kind of lower. You wouldn't, you'd miss out on the head. You also miss out on this guy's weapon, for example. It, it really does lose out, especially in cockpit games. You know, I, I watched a lot of footage of people uploaded of warplanes, World War II when it was released. And you, you, you're literally missing out on seeing the cockpit because it's down here. So this casting 2.0 is part of the Meta Quest Developer Hub PC app for Windows and Mac. You can't do it natively on the headset. You have to have this connected by USB 3.0. I, I suspect it's the computer itself doing uh, the actual recording in some way, though it's unclear what the exact technical uh, nature of this is. But essentially what happens is you can then get, what, what happens is you enable this, the current app has to be restarted because the headset will now render beyond what you're actually seeing in VR. You can't see out uh, to the, the tops and the, the sides here in the headset, but it is rendering it so that it can be captured to look better for people watching on YouTube. So this is no longer going to have that kind of overly cropped, zoomed in look and widescreen quest footage. And as you can see here, you know, you can see the full arm and what's being held. You can see up to the sky. You can see the sides. This is going to be a game changer for conveying what it feels like you're seeing in VR to a audience on platforms like YouTube. It's interesting to think that the sides actually show you a little bit of what you can't see. And so if you if you're doing a shooter game capture, for instance, you might actually be able to show people running in off screen that you can't actually see in VR, which would be an interesting little like change in the the way you convey the stress of a scene uh, to your viewers if you're capturing that way. I'm seeing VR gamer dude saying that they're testing out FPS, uh, 60 FPS in headset which would be another major, major win if they were if we're able to get that really solid combined with this. Yeah, that looks to be rolling out uh, for the in-headset recording feature uh, for some people as a test because it, it was normally either, uh, I think it was 32 and 16 or something like that. It's very low frame rate. But yeah, it seems to be rolling out slowly uh, to a few limited testers. But yeah, again, this the, the, the limitation here is that this needs to be done on a PC with a USB 3.0 cable connected. You can't do this natively wirelessly uh, yet. Perhaps that's on the cards. If you're someone who has an Oculus Link setup, you know you have a long, thin USB 3.0 cable that you already had set up for Link, congratulations, you're already ready to use this. If you're not, sometimes it is awkward to find a USB port on your PC that's connected to a USB 3.0 controller on your motherboard that is actually fully spec compliant. This was a huge issue in the early days of VR with the original Oculus Rift, where its sensors, a lot of people find out that so many motherboards don't actually pass the USB 3.0 specifications. They are they're designed to be cheap and effective for 99% of USB devices, but then you plug in something like that Rift sensor that truly uses the full USB 3 bandwidth and your computer just dies. So sometimes that can be an issue with Link. So it can be a bit finicky. But uh, 
Yeah. And VR Gamer Dude is also saying that they've been testing some of these new features for the on headset capture and there's no more audio desync. It sounds incredible and fixed frame rate. So it's no longer a variable frame rate. Yeah. It sounds like Meta is really starting to take seriously these creator tools. I remember when we talked about this a while ago on this show, maybe a, a year ago or half a year, I said that I didn't expect widescreen on crop to happen until headsets had wider field of view, you know, like really, really wide field of view. But obviously, this is the other way to do this. Just render beyond the real field of view. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for all that uh, info, VR Gamer Dude, uh, saying that we're about wireless casting 2.0 in the, uh, what is it, Meta Development Quest uh, Hub is on the roadmap too. Yeah, this is a long time coming and a very, very big addition. I I cannot wait for 60. I'm going to, I can't wait to start capturing just alone at 60 frames per second. I was writing this in an article recently. It's when you have stabilized egocentric cameras, both in the real world and in virtual reality, both shipping from Meta. That's what they have this this year is they're, they're shipping the Ray-Ban glasses as stabilized head-worn cameras. And people are just now realizing how it feels different to capture video from that perspective. It's, it's more personal. People make eye contact with you, the camera person, and it's, it's an entirely different format for capturing in the real world. Well, this is the equivalent of that technology in VR. And it's, it's really phenomenal to have like the camera get this kind of an upgrade on a regular basis. So I, I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, as VR Gamer Dude says in the comments, this is something that YouTubers have been begging Meta for for years now. So, you know, for Meta to not have done this from now, they're just harming their own, uh, what's the word for it, organic marketing, I guess. They're just making it, that they're making the experience of their product look worse to people who haven't bought it yet by not putting this in. So if this becomes standard, I hope that what happens eventually is that this becomes an option in headset, so you don't have to use a PC. Maybe there's not enough headroom on Quest 2 to do that, but I suspect if they lower the dynamic resolution a bit, they could do that on Quest 3, maybe. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. That's going to be a big game changer. You want people, you want everyone who's recording video from in this headset for it to look as good as possible. But yeah, maybe but, we should um, talk about the next topic. Yeah, I just want to mention James O'Laughlin's comment here. I just finally retired my fixture rift sensors. Good riddance, goodness. You waited a long time on that one. Wow, I've still got I still got my Steam VR 2.0 base stations up in this office though for Beyond. They're they're keeping the Beyond, you know, the Beyond is keeping the Steam VR tracking base stations alive right now in my house. They're they're surviving. Uh, let's talk about Meta shooting down the prospect of Quest 3 eye tracking add-on. This was the story I was referring to earlier that I was editing the moment I got out of banter and uh, had it published on our site. We we're talking about this. David, uh, why don't you get into the intricacies here? Because a lot of people out there are probably wondering why Vive did it. Uh, it's easy to, it, it would be assumed to be an easy thing to add a Vive, uh, an eye tracking add on to a headset if other companies have done it for years. Why is that not the case? Well, I wouldn't say that it's easy for HTC to have done it. It did take a year after Focus 3 release for this to happen, but they did do it. Um, you know, they released a $250 eye tracking add on for that same headset we were talking about earlier for the uh, international, that's going to the International Space Station. 
but Meta CTO Andrew Bosworth was asked and he said, there's not really a credible way to do eye tracking or upper face tracking underneath the headset as an accessory. It's something we've thought about every now and again, but for eye tracking, you need to have this illumination all the way around the eyes. You're talking about replacing the eye cups. You'd have cameras in multiple positions. Uh, you need to, uh, that's pretty tough. It's in quite tight and sensitive areas. This is something we've looked at, but it's, yeah, it's something that they have just decided that they're not doing. And we have a picture here of the add-on for Focus 3. And you can see that you kind of just add this into the facial interface. HTC has always kind of been a bit ahead of Meta when it comes to, you know, niche hardware accessories and uh, add-ons and things like this. Um think they maybe even tease that something like this could come for XR Elite, but it has not yet. This is still only for Focus 3. But yeah, it's a shame because it means that you can't, if you want a meta headset with eye tracking, you have to buy the one that uses the last generation processor that has a lower resolution screen and that probably won't see anywhere near as long support as Quest 3. You do get that face and eye tracking, but it comes at a cost. And we'll talk about this maybe later, but reportedly Meta's next Quest Pro is not going to arrive until 2025. So if you want to to be on the Meta headset that has the latest and greatest processor and features, the Quest 3, you're maybe going to have to wait two years to until you can do that with eye tracking. And that's quite a... It's, it's strange for this to be shot down. Obviously, Meta will have their engineering reasons, but you, you often, often do this, see this thing where Meta will tell you why all these things aren't possible, and then another company just goes and does it anyway. Well, it's... it's Meta has had a kind of like a sharing... How do I describe this? They've They get data from sharing information early with their audience. So it's actually Meta's done a, a fairly good job of putting some of their research projects out there into public view on a I would I would say it's a more frequent cadence than Apple but that that could be a inaccurate sort of representation but Meta's a big participant in things like Seagraph where they show off future headsets future technologies they share those studies out with a lot of people and those technologies get uh they they get to other companies, but they also kind of like it's a way of meta showing like we actually don't know what to do with this, and we're gonna let others figure it out for us. Um, and that's Meta's done that a couple times in the past, and it's it's frustrating for me. I'm I'm in here in a Quest Pro using the last generation chip. Which headset are you in this week, David? I'm in Quest Two. Yeah. I I don't I really don't want to go put on a Quest Two again. I, I haven't really um, since the Quest Three has arrived. But I'm back and forth every week now of trying to decide whether I give you these weird facial expressions from time to time, or whether I go and try to have the most comfortable headset that runs just a slight bit smoother. Because like I still feel a little bit of jank, like a little bit of stuttering when I go into the menus that. Is annoying, and I I can feel the likelihood that it's going to get worse because of the way Meta like adds new features for the latest chipset. So it's a real bummer to have like this cool feature on a headset that I've got really no other reason to use it than to come into the studio for for this. Yeah, it's uh, you can definitely see the performance difference even in in the menu system in Quest Three, but it's it's. That's an optimization issue because Pico 4's interface 
on the the last generation processor is snappy. It's really, really snappy. It's one of the clearest ways to understand what the performance issue is with the Quest system software is to use a Pico 4 because it is night and day. It really does feel like the Pico 4, when you're in the system menu, feels as snappy, if not more snappy, than Quest 3. So it really is just a poorly optimized software. Carmack ranted about this for years, rightly so. A lot of this was, you know, high-level JavaScript stuff that's being done in this core system interface rather than, you know, low-level performance C++. We're getting close to the end of the show here. I do want to just make that pitch out there that you shared this link out on whatever network you're on, get people in here, because these last few subjects here are fairly big ones that we want to make sure our discussion here in the comments covers all angles, and then we also cover all angles to this because it is complicated. Meta has cut the price of the Quest 2 to $250 for the rest of the year. This is some exclusive reporting that we first got out there from Upload VR, confirming that this holiday price cut that some of you are seeing on storefronts is actually in place through the end of the year, through uh, to the start of 2024. David, I'm I'm going to let you add your commentary and what you think is going on here because I have my own thoughts. So I think we should probably talk about these two subjects at the same time because they're just so related. The next subject, so. This is the lowest price we've seen for a new standalone headset with track controllers, $250. It is half the price of Quest 3. So on paper, it sounds very attractive if you just want to get into VR and you don't want to spend a huge amount of money. You know, I'm not saying 250 is nothing, but it's not 500. Uh, the problem is that a lot of, there are a lot of indicators that Meta plans to replace Quest 2 within the next year or so maybe even the next six months with a headset that will be priced similarly but have that latest generation processor from the quest 3 and you know a, one of the reports from a chinese analyst who's been accurate in the past and who is being corroborated in the specs claims by the wall street journal uh, this week or sorry last week is that that headset may be branded quest 3 light so to me, this is almost a clearance seal for Quest 2. In fact, it essentially is a clearance seal for Quest 2. But buying this means that you may be in a situation where within a year or even less, the latest games are not made to run well or look good on Quest 2. And developers start focusing more and more on the larger market and the, the walls that, uh, sorry, on the, the market as it transitions to the XR2 Gen 2 which has double, more than double the GPU power. The report from the Wall Street Journal this week it, it suggested that Meta is working on a partnership with Tencent to bring that Quest 3 Lite to China. So this could be another massive market of customers that are only on the XR2 Gen 2. You then have everyone with Quest 3 and you have everyone in the West who buys Quest 3 Lite. We've seen how Meta can stop focusing on its older hardware over and over again with Go and with Quest. Quest 2 has sold enough that I expect it will be supported for longer than those headsets, but it's still being supported and being the focus are very different things. And I just, unless you really want a headset this year and you don't want to wait, I would strongly personally recommend waiting for Quest 3 Lite rather than buying this. Yeah, let me get a couple other things out there just as buying advice and info for people. So Meta in the past 
has had specific deals around Black Friday. So the week of Black Friday, that's the week after this podcast is recorded. There are typically special deals at retailers to keep an eye out for. Given that we confirmed that this deal is through the entire holiday season to the end of the year, I would... Keep getting disconnected. I am sorry. Yeah, I think you're yeah, having so some Wi-Fi connection issues. It's and it's it's maddening because I, I I'm listening to him in real time talk about the mesh uh, problems for the network, and it's like I tried I tried to change all of my Wi-Fi settings so that this headset will not uh, crap out on the Wi-Fi every thirty seconds. But uh, yeah, so back to my recommendation here. Um, if you're ignoring us and you're still going to get a Quest Two this holiday season, my recommendation would be to wait until black friday week to see if anything else pops off special um meta's done it almost every year uh going back since the rift days uh to, to have these special black friday and and get as many out there um the other thing that i'm just going to throw out there is the get supernatural.com offer is parallel to uh what is going on here so that is a year of Supernatural, and you can get that with Quest 2 for, I think, 350 So if you're looking for fitness and you're looking to try to start like a New Year's resolution with VR, a $350 Quest 2 over on the GetSupernatural.com website is a good deal with a year of Supernatural included. Gets you ready to go with trying out virtual reality fitness right out of the gate. But again... I do have to just reinforce what David is saying here about Quest 3. We, you know, based on now going back to 2014, when Meta Facebook released its first VR headset in partnership with Samsung, Meta cans old products, stop supporting them, and they become uh, lesser experiences over time. Um, and it's it's devastating when this process starts happening, when the when the apps start getting pulled or stop getting supported, and it's feeling like Quest Two is approaching that in a very very quick way. And the the only reason is because Meta has to be super aggressive in trying to get everyone that they sell to onto the XR Two Gen Two, because everyone is chasing them. Right, the entire market is is hot on their heels. And so they're making tough choices and cutting old products and, and forcing everyone onto the new system as quickly as they possibly can. I just, I don't know how to convey to people other than saying it's been miserable for the last nine years now to go from Gear VR to Oculus Go to Rift and having these old devices that just kind of like start feeling lesser and lesser. So you're already competing with like a device that um, it's not 2020 vision. It's a step backward from that. You're not going to want to spend hours and hours and hours in this to begin with. Like, it's not like, yeah, these things do gather dust for a lot of people who buy them. And you're, if you get an XR2 Gen 2, you're giving yourself a much better chance at the content being compelling enough for longer enough that this thing will not collect dust. So that's why we recommend so so strong, you've got to go try to get that XR2 Gen 2 chip and a Quest 3 instead. 
Yeah, exactly. It is a generational upgrade. The, the upgrade in GPU performance from Quest 2 to Quest 3 is dramatic, and that's what the reports suggest will be in Quest 3 Lite as well. We have this little highly of render of what Quest 3 Lite could possibly, potentially, maybe, possibly look something like possibly from XR Carlos here. And you see kind of just, uh, it lacks the color cameras and depth sensor. It's thicker because it uses the Fresnel lenses from Quest 2 reportedly. Um, but you still have this kind of familiar Quest 3 design language. And you know, to be clear, if anyone is not familiar with these Quest 3 Lite reports, the reports so far from the Wall Street Journal, from Bloomberg, and from this Chinese analyst, they indicate that that's a, this will essentially be a uh, the Quest 2's lens system, Fresnel lenses, with the Quest 3's performance. It's XR2 Gen 2. So it's like souping up a Quest 2 with the XR2 Gen 2, and reportedly it could land it's at, you know say three hundred dollars with controllers so it'll be on a similar kind of price level to Quest Two and that's why we would recommend if you do not want to spend five hundred dollars on a Quest Three but you do want VR just potentially wait for this unless you absolutely can't. Yeah, and I will be curious to see if there's any Quest Three deals around Black Friday. It seems you know I I, I would think maybe they don't want to sell too much they want to see how quest 3 is going to stand on its own but we'll see if there's there might even be surprising quest 3 deals um andrew tech won't developers keep supporting quest 2 if that market is bigger than quest 3 very interesting comment um yes they will and that's you know david gave a caveat there that meta could support this for longer because of that install base but uh critically we have to add that at MetaConnect, we talked to Meta's executives, and there's nothing keeping a developer from right now putting a product on App Lab and targeting Quest 3 alone. Devs could do it right now, and it would probably be in some of their best interests to, to start there and move forward, right? Yeah, I think it's not just that the, I don't suspect the que that many developers will target Quest 3. But again, I just want to reiterate, it's all in what you mean by the word target. I suspect developers for a long time will want their game to run on Quest 2. But running on Quest 2 doesn't mean running well. I suspect that we're going to see performance slip. We're going to see graphics slip. We're going to see these games designed around the XR2 Gen 2 for Quest 3 and Quest 3 Lite. And kind of downported. You see this a lot of the time in when consoles roll on to the next generation. For a long time, developers will still build games for the previous consoles, but you'll notice that the performance and the graphics are just uh, significantly compromised, even compared to games that used to run on those headsets or sorry, on those consoles. You also saw, I mean, arguably the the big tragedy of Cyberpunk was that they tried so hard to make it work on last-gen consoles that they extended their development time by years and delivered a terrible product because they were just trying to build a game for hardware that wasn't powerful enough to run. And had they targeted the, the current generation consoles or, you know, as they were called at the time, the next-gen consoles, they wouldn't have had a lot, a lot fewer issues. That's an argument to be made there. But yeah, again... We've seen before what happens when PC VR titles are ported over to Quest without being designed for Quest first, and they look terrible at times. I just think that effect may happen sooner rather than later for Quest 3 and Quest 2 games. 
Hard to get's comment here. Devs have to account for active users. Maybe Quest 3 active users can catch up faster even with lower numbers of units sold. And that is a particular, that's a fantastic comment. And related to that is the idea that uh, the charging dock that David Heaney just reviewed completely changes the uh, active kind of, you know, all the reasons why you kept out of VR are solved with uh, that as such an integral part of the process. So um, that is interesting math that Meta is learning right now is what, you know, do they make up the difference? It's a, such a more expensive product, but it's lighter and it you have the charging dock as a core part of the experience. So we'll see. Yeah, the retention could be very, very different. It's just all of those little things coming together, the, the improved comfort, the improved lenses, the improved display, the improved graphics, all of these things will just potentially make people want to use their Quest 3 more than they ever used their Quest 2. And uh, let's, yeah, let's definitely talk about this next, uh, well, finally, yeah, I guess I didn't really, I wanted to talk about the, the Quest 3 Lite to China a little bit because I didn't comment on that very much, but we don't have to. Uh, I just think it's really interesting that the full circle aspect of moving back into China is something that could haunt Mark Zuckerberg for years if he doesn't do it right, or he could do it essentially what, you know, he could... I think we just lost Ian there, so I'll just have a look at some comments here. A uh, little scampy saying it'll be great to see the next stream rep Steam report hardware survey on the current headset numbers. That'll be fascinating because uh, obviously uh, the current, as we pointed out last week, the current Steam hardware survey numbers are excluding a huge portion of Quest buyers uh, from the first half of the month and also excluding virtual desktop. So yeah, that'll be one of the, the first indicators of adoption of Quest 3. The next one to really look out for that we'll be reporting on as soon as it happens is Meta's Q4 earnings report, which will be, I believe, in January, but don't quote me on that. And that's when we will see the revenue numbers from the Reality Labs division uh, through the Quest 3 launch. And that's that will be probably the strongest indicator of Quest 3 success because Meta does not reveal sales numbers. Uh, if we're still talking about this topic of Quest 3 Lite, coming to China, according to the Wall Street Journal. So again, this headset that takes Quest 2's optics and Quest 3's chip and puts them together into a, a midpoint product. Uh, that could be a death spell for Pico. Pico is obviously already struggling. We've talked about that last week. We've talked about it this week. But if they then have Meta streaming into their home territory while they aren't able to compete into Meta's home territory they would be fairly screwed. Pico would have a, a big challenge there that could maybe perhaps have been one of the reasons for ByteDance's uh, downsizing of Pico. We don't know. Um, yeah, so ADR2T saying that you can't wait till they get app support from Google. Uh, that will be big in terms of just all of our software is king. I don't know if you're referring to Meta there. Meta, as we talked about last week, Google said no to bringing the Play Store to Quest. So it seems like the opposite. Maybe perhaps you're talking about Google and Samsung as we, we put that image up there a second ago. I think Ian is now returning, so we can talk about that more. Andrew Tech does, asks, does Steam Survey identify Airlink users properly? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, 
hello again. I was just sort of pointing out how uh, Quest 3 Lite entering China might be a death spell for Pico. That was just all I was saying on that. Yeah, um, I'm in Quest 3 now, so let's see if the Wi-Fi is any better over here. Um, it looks a yeah, lot smoother. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how Meta does in, um, like, how big this is for Meta. This could be, like such a big win or such a big problem over the long term and i can't i can't fathom if they're going to do things different with this tencent partnership in china like how does how does a dev release content for tencent based uh quest 3 light and then also get it onto the quest store and if they do that right, that that's just a, such a massive win in both directions for Meta. If they can have like great Chinese-based content, make the transition over to the Western world, have great content in the Western world make its way into China, that's hypothetically, I, w- I would imagine, what Mark Zuckerberg is trying to achieve with this. But how it actually plays out is going to be weird. So yeah, according to reports that they would go through Meta for the Western market and through Tencent for the Chinese market. Yes, Tencent would handle the content in the store in China. Uh, that obviously, yes, as you say, if they for the cost of some Chinese localization, they could access an enormous potential new market. That could this could be huge for VR developers if this product takes off well in China. You know, you're getting this massive influx potentially of new customers that are using the XR2 Gen 2 and are looking for fresh content. Uh, It'll be probably one of the biggest moments in the global VR market if this does happen. You know, we haven't seen VR expand into an entirely new market like this from Western companies uh, quite yet. It's lost Ian again there. Obviously, he's still having some sort of Wi-Fi connection issues. Hello again. It's weird. My audio resets every time I disconnect from the studio, so I have to turn it up again to hear you. Yeah, we ready to talk about our last two subjects here? Where are we? Yeah, we have the last subject now, just to talk about Google and Samsung. Yeah, this is the sort of wrap-up subject here as we really get into what 2024 will hold. I will be curious if anyone in our comments wants to make predictions. Uh, if there's any any predictions that sound pretty believable, I'll call them out on our show, and you'll have a nice little clip out there to call out as as something that could play out next year. I I want to just preface before you get into explaining this, David. We are becoming like a broken record of expecting each year to be the year VR takes off. And we kind of got sucked in over the last few years with knowing Apple was coming, knowing the fire of Apple was was so near that, that like there was enough smoke there to indicate that an actual product was coming, but it kept getting pushed and kept getting pushed. And now we've gone through 2023 where Pico may have just died, one of the only companies to stand up an effort against Meta over the last few years. But now we're approaching 2024, and it sounds like it's not just Apple. It's not just Meta. There's other players that are going to get very serious. Why don't you run it through? So I first just want to push back on this idea of the year VR takes off. I I mostly hate this concept. Other than that, I would say that it already happened. Uh, Quest 2 was the moment VR took off. Like I said, I think I said this last week. Before Quest 2, you could count 
you you could very rarely find someone who owned a VR headset. You know, maybe if you knew a PC gamer friend, uh, they might have a Rift or a Vive from 2016. Maybe they have a Rift S or something. But you know, you talk to any regular person, you're out in the world, and you tell them you work in VR, and and they would not know that uh, anyone who owned a headset. Now, again, as I said last year, uh, you know, often I'm in a barber shop and I I say what I do, and and they either say you know a barber shop or an Uber or you know, a bartender or just general people who are not in technology, who do not, you're not PC gamers, they're not techie people. And so often I hear either, oh, I have one of those, or my brother has one of those, or my, you know, my kid or my uncle or my housemate or my friend. And every time it's, uh, which one? Oh, you know, the, the white one that's wireless. It's always the quest to, it's the moment where regular people on mass, you know, north of 10 million around 20 million potentially started to purchase headsets that doesn't mean that it's this is the end point but if you're talking about like when on the graph in history does vr go from almost impossible to see to starts to take off into the tens of millions that moment happened with quest 2 again that's it's only the start of taking off and you know it is down to the semantics of what do you mean by take off what do you mean by mainstream but again yeah it's happening right now i i think that's fair yeah it's just I'm th- I'm seeing one of our comments, Anthony, saying we will see full-bodied AR avatars in Quest Three, and that's like a digital character from the Blade Runner sequel. I th- think that's one of several examples, right? Voice recognition, uh, AI generation, uh, the quality of the displays, all these things, as well as the thing we've just spent a, a huge portion of the show discussing: the XR2 Gen Two. All of these things are combining at at one time to uh, accelerate the VR market in ways that we, I don't think people are ready for just, to, to David's point about Quest 2 being a breakthrough, that was the thing that had, you know, it shipped without great hand tracking. It shipped without great, great PC VR connection. Um, it didn't have great, good pass-through even. It just had, pa- like, worse than passable pass-through as david described it it had all these things and it still did exceedingly well and we expect a like a we expect meta to repeat that with a quest 3 light and that's not even scratching the surface of all the things that are going to happen in vr next year so it's exciting times in a very very big way but uh, i want to hear you talk about the chips uh really key here david what chip do you think uh, Samsung and Google are going to use? Well, just before, let's just give a, an overview of what, of what we're even talking about them shipping here. So, you know, if, if people aren't familiar, earlier this year in February, Samsung confirmed it was making a headset with Google powering the software and Qualcomm providing the chip. And so this week, uh, a, a sorry, last week, a report from a South Korean newspaper uh, that's considered a paper of record reported that it will announce the headset at an event in the second half of 2024 and then launch it in December with a, n- a limited initial quantity of just 30,000 units, suggesting this is going to be a high-end expensive headset. And we independently confirmed, uh, we at Upload VR independently confirmed that Samsung told developers it plans to launch in late 2024. So, All of the rumors we've heard about this headset so far suggest that it is going to be a high-end Vision Pro competitor, not a $500 Quest 3 competitor. Uh, Earlier this month, Qualcomm confirmed to uh, a a news outlet and to us that it plans to 
announce a new XR chipset in the in the first half of 2024. It did not give many details about what this was, but suggested it would be higher end than the one than the XR2 Gen 2 that just went in to Quest 3. So as we talked about when we talked about that in a previous episode, a previous recent episode, we suspect that it's going to be a chip that's designed for headsets that will take on Vision Pro, that it may use the new Orion CPU cores that are Qualcomm's first custom, fully custom CPU cores built from their acquisition of a small startup, Nuvia, which was consisting of former Apple and Google chip designers. So this is Qualcomm getting serious, taking on Vision Pro, and Samsung could be the first to release a headset of that tier with Google providing the software through Android XR and Qualcomm providing that chip while reportedly Meta will sit out for a while and stay out of the high-end market until 2025. Yeah, so one of the one of the predictions here, people talking about, uh, where was it? Uh, the Pixel Galaxy Vision Ultra. I like that naming idea for the the next Samsung headset. Um, <laughs> I uh, the XR3, if we actually get it, is going to be a beast. And it's it would be surprising if Meta wasn't there shipping a headset with it first. And one of the theories that we've discussed is the idea that um, maybe Meta had a chance to take that XR3 and wasn't ready to place an order for them in the right timeline to make Qualcomm happy. And then Samsung uh, and Google teamed up to, to fill that hole. Obviously, Meta can follow up and do a Vision Pro, uh, a Quest Pro 2 with an XR3, but maybe they had to get in a line behind the first company to, to purchase that chip. That's an interesting theory. We'll have to see how it plays out. Um, but I, it's boggling my mind to think that this also adds more weight to our earlier recommendation that you do not get a Quest 2. If you're discussing the possibility that not only will the XR2 Gen 2 feel outdated relative to this chip, like it's, it's like it, this is more evidence you don't get a Quest 2. It's, let's just start there, right? I mean, I mean, these are very different devices. A Quest 2 is a $250 headset, and reportedly this is going to be somewhere around $2,000. I don't think anyone, I think, I think very few people are in the same market here. I don't, if you're looking to play VR games for cheap, I don't think you're going to care about this because reportedly this thing isn't going to have controllers. This is not going to be a Quest style headset. This is going to be a Vision Pro competitor for setting on your seat for most of the uses cases of seeing your existing apps from Android in spatial computing i i don't see the connection there but I, I i do think obviously it means that yes if developers are focusing on these new chips the xr2 gen 2 and the xr3 or whatever it ends up being called yeah you're gonna just feel further and further behind if you are on that quest too i get what you're saying in that sense yeah no i get it, i get why you're describing it that way too i i think i'm just very uh you know we are one of the few people that have tried all of these headsets out. Uh, our audience is one of the few communities that use these devices on almost a daily basis. And they have a unique understanding of just how crummy or useful these devices are for their various use cases. So 
right now, as we're doing this show, there's new people coming in here going, what do I buy first? Am I ready to try out VR fitness? Am I ready to try out VR gaming? Or do I need to wait for the next thing? And um, Vision Pro and its chipset provides a different experience than what you get out of a Meta Quest 3. Yeah, Quest 3 is a great gaming experience, but it's uh, very VR-focused. It's a great experience once you're in VR. Uh, having great pass-through, sh showing your environment, the possibility of mixed reality experiences, those are the things that might be possible at the XR3 level or might even be better at the XR3 level than what you get out of the XR2 Gen 2. And no one except me <laughs> and like a couple hundreds of devs who have found an apple rep in a major city to demo a vision pro those are the only people who ex can understand how how much money an xr3 type chip is worth uh experientially right like no one has set eyes on how much better this content is than the mixed reality you see out of an xr2 gen 2 and we need we need to have that experience for people to think whether they'd be willing to spend two grand on this yeah i noticed that in we talked earlier about the iphone 15 pro spatial video impressions from cnet and tech radar i noticed that one of those reports i can't remember which one on the, off the top of my head had they said they'd recently been using a Quest 3 in the few days before. And, you know, they said just explicitly, you know, within, was it 24 or 48 hours of going between these headsets, that the pass-through in Vision Pro is just in a different universe. And if Samsung and Google can deliver on that too, then this headset becomes something that for that kind of uh, augmented or mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, spatial computing, is just far more compelling than Quest 3 because you don't have this grainy, warpy view of the world you have a, a clear sharp undistorted view of the world potentially yeah i'm seeing someone where is it uh evil saying you can watch this in vr and big screen i thought yeah there are some people who set up watch rooms over on big screen we were actually talking to kyle um if you think this would be interesting let us know in the comments and uh but we had talked to kyle about maybe getting him into a room in big screen and at the beginning of our show here, throwing up the room code for anyone that wants to go join and watch uh, our show in big screen from VR. We thought that might be a cool thing to try sometime before the end of the year. So let us yeah, know if you're I, interested in that. I think that came off a question of someone you know, saying that you know, you're, we're watching a YouTube video of two people in VR talking about VR rather than being in VR with them in person. Um, and yeah, you know, look, that's something we, we would love to do. It's not that we don't want to do it. It's just that... At the end of the day, this is a side project for us, and our, our main job is reporting on what's happening in VR and putting out news articles in a very fast-moving industry with a very small team. If you know there's a month where there is almost no VR news and, and the news drops down low and I, we ha have the free time to do it, we are, we are actually closer than you may think. But uh, it's just one of those things where we can't compromise our, our core focus of delivering you the most... Uh, we hope the most accurate and contextualized and, and usefully informative VR news of any outlet. I do want to say, yeah. So thank you for yeah, David Heaney's holding like it's, it's tough. We, this is a, I can't even imagine how many hours and passion project he's put into this studio just because he loves the idea of it, but it is a side project. Right. And what's fascinating about that is like, we have an audience here. You, 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 we love that you 
love this format. We love talking with you. It's working. We want to keep building on it. But it's a completely different animal than the way we write about our news and get that stuff out under embargo uh, sometimes or waiting. It's just a completely different thing. But we want to do both. We want to keep building both, and it's hard. And one of the ways to do that is use existing platforms. So we've looked at banter, and that's one thing we might consider. And also just this idea of big screen was a cool idea for us to consider. Um, yeah. We'd love to do other other platforms. You know, just we we very much have streamlined this experience around removing friction, around, you know, our image casting system here is linked directly to our website. We didn't have to preload all these images that we show you each week into some system or kind of awkwardly search through a web browser and, and maximize it and cast it. I have an, on my tablet in front of me just an, an interface that I can search every image that we've ever used in an article and cast it up immediately. And we have that link to our YouTube channel. In future, we hope to have our article videos in this. Uh, I have, you know, the comments here preloaded. No need to go and navigate to a URL. It's preloaded. I have the, a note system that's connected to a note system on our website that is, again, com, you know, linked in and integrated without any separate browser to do this. Without these things pre-built, we would have to kind of have like three different browser tabs open and be switching between them while we're trying to speak to you. We also have the auto-switching cameras. We have no joining friction at all. There's no room codes. There's no invites. There's no servers to depend on. We we do all this ourselves. So it, the issue with, I would love another platform to, to deliver this experience. I just think I don't see it happening from the general purpose platforms. I think someone needs to build an app that literally just does this, but that's quite yeah. niche. We've seen recently the, the vStreamer Live app, which is kind of a single player version of this, where you can uh, put backgrounds on your avatar and, and and have 3D props and things and cast directly to YouTube, stream directly to YouTube. But again, the complexity of developing a networked app is or, an order of magnitude higher than developing a single user app. As soon as you add networking to something, and the state has to be synchronized and you have to make sure that you never drop a second of audio while you do all of this. It's just a different level of complexity. Yeah, and those timestamps that we talked about earlier in the show with banter where 8.54, or what was it, uh, 8.54, he's like, okay, I'll meet you. And then at 9, he says, I'm in 10 minutes later. I, I've timed it in this show. I've gone into this studio at 12.58 p.m. Pacific time and been ready to broadcast with you two minutes later. And that's because of the friction system that he's custom built here. And I like, yeah, I could maybe go for five minutes more, but 10 minutes more is actually across the line of too much friction to come in and do this. Like that's, that's what we're talking about on an ongoing basis. Yeah. I think for me, it's still just the, the you know, the integration with our, our site and our notes and our, our comments. How, like, yes, you could do this with virtual web browsers, but you've been managing like three of them in a, in a, in a way to realistically you probably need to have a keyboard connected as well. Um, but yeah, it's we love. We're going to explore that. We're we're, we're completely open minded about it. It's something we very much upon exploring. But perhaps as well, you know, if there's if we get some time as the the news lulls at the end of the year, as developers and companies start taking a time off, we will be able to just get our virtual audience out ourselves. You know, we have a lot of it done. I don't want to tease anything more, but you know, we, we a lot of it is is built out. It's just a matter of getting the time to really get it ready to ship. Is there anything else on the subject? Because I do want to make that pitch once more as we're discussing this. We've seen um, quite a number of people over this year come and support us as members of UploadVR.com, remove those ads from the site, get our news straight without any of the ads uh, getting in the way. 
And that is a very real way of supporting our work, supporting the development of the studio, supporting us going out and asking these questions, hosting these conversations, and getting to the really core of what's happening in the VR market so you're more informed and can help uh, the people in your life get ready for what's coming. Um, anything you want to close out there before we say bye to our audience this week? Uh, just having a look at the comments, um, just some people talking about, you know, that in general, the general market, people are comparing the quest three division pro, even despite the large price gulf. Um, yeah, iron meds VR asks what's in front of us. Uh, there, there are three cameras and we can see each camera go red as it switches. There's also a kind of floating monitor that shows us how long we've been streaming for. So right now it says one hour and 57 minutes. We can see the amount of people uh, that are currently watching, 194. We can see when it's live and not. So all the there will be like a red frame around the monitor that you can see when it's live. And we can see like a preview screen. You know, we see a virtual view of that camera, a, a render texture of what the camera is seeing. So at all times we can see what you're seeing. We can see which camera's on. And then there's also in the corner there a, a seat for if uh, a third person is wanting to join and to you know communicate something to us or coordinate something behind the scenes yeah so we're able to know the camera's auto switch that was one thing i told banter that we would need in order to consider a an auto like a switching system is the camera uh, i'm showing a red light there that this camera is on right now if david starts speaking it'll be that camera over there if uh we throw an image up onto the screen it'll be uh, both of us, and we can see the red light there. It's it's a perfect uh, analogy for a classic studio, but it's it's purpose built for us and what we need. It's it's like oh, we we stress out about this ourselves on like whether we should be spending more time on this or getting the news out. And I think getting the news out has always been the right choice. So we're going to stick to that and uh, yeah, support our work so that we can send more of those emails and get more people into the studio, do those interviews, ask those questions that, that we really need to we really need to ask. Um, people said they, you know, I'll just throw it out there. I so Meta did this podcast with uh, who? What's his name? Uh, Lex Lex Friedman, one of the biggest, the probably the biggest podcaster in the world, uh, next to maybe Joe Rogan. Like those would be two of the biggest names uh, in podcasting. And Mark Zuckerberg appeared in VR as himself with their futuristic COVID uh, codec avatars. Um, we want that in the studio. I've reached out to Meta specifically to say we should, we need those in the studio. What do we need to do to to get on the list to do that? Now, I'm I'm just gonna like it's it's scary to ask that question because you're actually giving power to the person you're asking the question to, because you're telling them that what they've got is a really, really interesting thing and they can do something else with it. So I'm going to throw it out there to Apple and anyone else that has super hyper-realistic avatars. We want to support them. We want to appear in VR as ourselves. But these platforms have to figure out how they're going to roll out to large amounts of people, how they don't freak people out in the process, because these are scary technologies like they they change the way you live and that's fundamentally scary for a lot of people out there um we want to ask questions the hard questions about how this is going to change people's lives and you're not going to get that everywhere we 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 are 
we've seen the way um, ma major companies test the waters for uh, like whether they're going to share information with people. We need to ask the hardest questions. We need to press and try to get that news out. And that's what we're going to do with our platform in VR. That's what we're going to do on our website. And I'm extremely proud of the work David Heaney has done. Uh, all our whole team has done over the last few months, putting those questions out there. And uh, yeah, it's going to be an amazing year next year as, as I, I, millions of people get into VR for the first time. We don't want them to be confused about what's coming, and that's what we want to do with our platform. So, thank you so much for supporting us so far. And yeah, that, I think that's that's our it's as close to a manifesto as I think you're going to get out of us. So, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week, everyone. And yeah, 2024 is going to be a heck of a year, given you know Apple, potentially Samsung, Quest, Relight, uh, and maybe maybe Valve. Who knows? Maybe other entrants we don't even know about yet. It's. Uh, it's very clear that people are seeing now that this is a real market. The technology is finally catching up to all of the aspirations of the past 10 years. The, you know, what was only possible to do with a, a expensive PC tethered to a expensive headset is now becoming possible to do some, in some ways even better on, you know, a couple of hundred dollars standalone wireless headsets that are getting slimmer every year and having more and more capabilities and, you know, getting upper body tracking and all of this that, yeah. We are still in the early, early days of this. It is moving fast. This is going to be moving faster than any other hardware industry. We're in the era where smartphones are plateauing, even laptops and in some ways PCs and, and other devices are plateauing. But these headsets, they are going to advance fast and have major, major differences from year to year. So thank you everyone for watching. And yes, we will see you again next week.